Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the board YouTube channel, The Hammers NBA Content Division. We're here for our Thursday afternoon show, as we are every single Thursday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Myself, Jacob, my co-host, Kirk Evans. Reminder, on this channel, as well as also the morning show, Pick and Roll, every weekday morning at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time. So, subscribing to the channel might help you out with your sports betting and provide you some NBA entertainment. But make sure if you're entertained with this one that you smash the like button along the way. For the show today, we're going to be discussing a few topics. Number one, Victor Wembanyama, as you saw in the title and the thumbnail for today. We're going to be talking about his levels right now and potentially how just how far he can go. Obviously, he can go very far in this sport, but like to what level can we see Victor Wembanyama go? We're going to be talking about the Boston Celtics. If you tune into the show frequently, you know that myself and Kirk Evans, maybe Kirk more than anybody, thinks the Celtics are the overwhelming far and away title favorites, but... If any team is going to beat them, what are they going to have to do? And finally, we'll talk about the most unserious team in the NBA. You probably can figure out just who that is, but uh, if you want to know for sure, you can stick around. But uh, uh, Eric Kirk, how are you doing today? Uh, how's the week been for the NBA in the return from the All-Star break? Uh, week's been good. Market's been a bit weird. Some results have been a bit weird, but but it's been fun. It's been good to get back to it. Yeah, I feel like things are starting to uh, – January is always a weird time for the NBA, maybe even the start of February as well with just random variants in terms of score lines. But I think everything's starting to kind of mellow out again as we get through the rest of the season here. Most teams in the 23-24 games remaining stage. So this is the real final push for all of these teams. But let's go to what we have for the title and thumbnail here. Um, we wanted to talk about – Victor Wambanyama. Yes. Uh, how far can this guy really go in his career? Uh, many would already consider him as potentially the face of the NBA, despite being in his rookie season, obviously still very young. Um, shout out Joey Graybill in the chat, by the way. Thank you. Anybody in the chat, send in your questions all throughout the stream and uh, we'll be sure to get to them at some point. You may not get to them right away. It might take us a while to get to them, but we'll get to all of them a little bit later on. But Wembanyama on the season, I mean, he's firmly taken over as the favorite for Rookie of the Year as his minutes have, have increased, his performance and his levels of performance have increased as well. He's in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. That's not saying too much because Gilbert is pretty much a lock to win it at this point, but his name might be mentioned as one of the finalists. But he's averaging over 20 points per game now, over 10 rebounds per game. 3.3 blocks in 28.6 minutes. This is scary. Um, let's start off with this season. Um, on top of being, you know, everything we know about his size, everything that we know about his defense, what also is a pretty astonishing stat I saw on Twitter today via NBA University is that uh, in 2024, Victor Wembanyama has the fourth highest three-point percentage on pull-up attempts again that's in 2024 so since the turn of the year and that's of a sample where he's taken 57 of those shots yeah I, I don't even know what to ask you here but uh rookie season obviously touted as one of the greatest prospects of all time has it lived up to expectations has it exceeded expectations what are your thoughts on Wemby so far yeah, I called Wemby uh, overrated pre-draft. I got a lot of crap for it, and it turns out I didn't get enough. Um, yeah, I think since he's moved to center, it's pretty inarguable that 
the rookie season's been about as good as you could expect. He's he's like a top 30 player in the league at this point pretty easily. Um, and he has like a crazy amount of room to grow. So it's, yeah, he is, um, he, he probably has potential to be the greatest player ever. I think that's really his ceiling. He has, like, I, I would say there's not really been anyone who's come into the league who has that potential since, obviously, LeBron, maybe KD, maybe, like, really high-end versions of, like, Davis. But he's, like, really face of the league, I think. I think he is the face of the league after, you know, LeBron, Steph. So, yeah, I think this rookie season's been about as good as it possibly could have went. He's going to be up there for the MVP favorites next year. I, I really think he will be. And his defense is insane. And the the thing that's so crazy is he has so much room to grow. And he's already just like based on how big he is, how skilled he is, how good he is defensively. Probably, I think I said top 30 player in the league. He's been like a top 10 player in the league the past month and a half. So yeah, I think, I think he has GOAT potential. I, I think it's kind of inarguable at this point. Yeah. And even further with the face of the league stuff, I, I think typically these conversations don't really mean much and they don't, but like in terms of Jersey sell Jersey sales so far, uh, he's number four in the league. He's behind Curry, Tatum, LeBron. He's ahead of Doncic, Giannis, Durant, Booker. So uh, the popularity is already there. And on and Giannis and Durant, in fact, I've already mentioned in the media as of late that they believe he's already the face of the league, as you mentioned there. So definitely in the realm of kind of, yeah, getting could this guy be the greatest player we've ever seen? It's arguable that he's the best defensive player in the NBA. He's on comfortably a bottom three worst team in the NBA, and he's in the defensive player of the year conversation. Um, I think since the yeah yeah since the return of the All Star break, he has more blocks on his own than any team in the NBA has. Period. I think I saw that's that. unbelievable. I, I, I did not that. know that. Uh, which which doesn't include before the All Star break when he had a ten block triple double against our Toronto Raptors. Uh, yeah, just every stat you see is crazy. Like fourth in the NBA in pull up three point percentage since twenty in, in twenty twenty four. More blocks than any team in the NBA since the return from the All-Star break. Uh, and doing so on what is really an awful team here. Uh, does he project to you as somebody who can propel a team to that championship level? You know, obviously there's, you know, so many yes. great players. This is yes. a guy you're going to bank on as your number one guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think that this is um, the essentially the best case scenario. I said it was the perfect rookie season for him, but it's also kind of the best case scenario for the Spurs as well. Like, I guess maybe you could argue that Sohan and, and Keldon stock are, are a bit down this season, but Victor being this good and the Spurs being this bad is, is kind of perfect. They're going to get maybe the number one overall pick this year. They'll have a good shot. They'll be top four odds in the lottery. And yeah, I think if, if I think he could be the best player ever, I definitely think he has a chance to be uh the best player on a championship team for sure. And I think that's going to happen really fast. And I think the Spurs should be thinking we want to get good very quickly. I think the, the goal should be, a, and th this might seem egregious, they should want to be a championship team in two years from now. Still have they, them on a rookie scale contract. They have tons of picks. 
The problem is obviously they're still going to go be pretty young, but I think people will want to come to this team. I know teams have kind of made mistakes like uh, Dallas got Chris Stapps and that was kind of looked at as a mistake, but I don't really think that was a mistake. It just kind of didn't work with Chris Stapps. I think trying to be really good when Wemby's on a rookie contract and then just signing him into the max definitely need to be a championship level team by the time he's on uh, like the rookie scale max. Because one, you never know with health, especially for a guy who's seven foot, whatever he is, three. Yep. And two, it's way harder to build a championship team when a guy's on a super max and making, you know, he'll make like probably 70 million a year by the time he's in year eight. But if he's in year five, making whatever it is, 25% of the cap, it's much more attainable. People are going to want to come play with him. People like San Antonio. They still have the lore of, of this good organization. So... Yeah, I think they should actually be trying to speed up the timeline pretty fast. And I, I think, assuming he's healthy, unquestionably, he can be the best player on uh, a championship team. You 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 make a, a really good point about uh, speeding this whole process along. People always preach patience with these sort of things. I like to say rookie contracts win championships because, yeah, you're paying a superstar caliber player peanuts compared to what a star player could be making which allows you to then have the cap space to pay another superstar who's maybe older and gives you more ability to do that so uh you know an example that i obviously know as a raptors fan talk about the championship they won Kawhi was making a lot of money of course but kyle lowry made a lot of money marcus Gasol made a lot of money sergi baka even made a lot of money and the reason they could afford those guys is because pascal siakam who's arguably the best the second best player on the team was on a rookie contract Fred Van Vliet was also on a rookie contract and he was pivotal to that championship in the end. So yeah, uh, yeah. Speeding up the process might work out for this team. And what also helps is that they will likely have a top five pick. That's their own pick. It could turn into a number one pick as it did last year. And they're probably going to have a pick in the seven to 10 range via the Toronto Raptors. So uh, they can really do well to, to speed this thing along. For sure. And, and talking about speeding it up, I feel like, it's easy to look at a team who speeds up, who speeds a process up like Dallas and say, oh, look at the mistake they made. But it's really hard to evaluate that same logic, but the counterfactual. So Memphis had all these picks, all these cheap guys. They were in a great spot. I still think Memphis is fine, but they kind of held on to their picks, held on to their picks, held on to their picks, didn't go all in. Now Bain's on a max, Judd's on a max, Jaron's on a big contract. And those picks are... Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, um, Zaire Williams. So it's it, opportunity cost is a massive cost, but it's just easier to stick in your mind. Oh, Dallas, you know, went too early and got Chris Epps too early versus the absence of doing something is much harder to really point to and think, oh, that was also a massive mistake because the mistake was actually doing nothing. I think that's a I think that's a good point. And uh, like you said, the Spurs consistently have that sort of draw from being the, the team that was so successful. And they still have Greg Popovich. Uh, speaking of that draft, by the way, Kirsten Cannon from Joey Gabriel in the chat uh, talked about Dalton Connect out of Tennessee. He's slated to go quite high up in this draft. I don't know if you're uh, in at this point. So I'll answer the question here, but Joey Gabriel asked me about Dalton I think that this guy projects as um, 
it's weird because obviously he might go very high in this draft, but I think he's got such great ability to play with other great players. He's such a good cutter, such a dynamic shooter, very good size that I think that there are some really positive signs for him in the NBA. If he can accept playing as maybe not the best player, which some players struggle to do, but with my granted limited knowledge on, on the draft, uh, I think he projects very well for the NBA. Um, All right. Let's go into our next topic here. And I've ne- literally uh, never heard of uh, Dalton Connect. Oh. No idea who he is. <laughs> are you are, are you uh, somebody that's locked in on the draft at all? Do you get locked no. in later on? I'll, I'll walk in later on when I can bet on it. Fair enough. Let's well now you'll know who he is when he gets to that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go to our second topic: the Celtics here. Uh, not necessarily the Celtics. Uh, talking about them, but talking about how to stop the Boston Celtics because. Um, a lot of times there's an overwhelming favorite going into the playoffs. And a lot of times that team doesn't win. They have to win 16 games. It is a pretty sizable sample size. So what is it going to take for a team to actually stop this team? They have won, I, th- I think it's nine games in a row right now, but who matches up the best with them? What do they have to do? Yeah, they've been ridiculously good of late. And that's on top of uh, being ridiculously good in general. I don't know if anyone saw the, I don't know what it was on, but someone asked Xavier Tillman, like, what's the difference of being on the Celtics? And he's like, we never lose. <laughs> um, yeah, the way that to beat the Celtics, I would say, so this answer is going to kind of annoy me because I feel like a lot of people have said similar things to me and, and it always kind of pisses me off. But I guess this is the way they're probably going to lose if they do. People point to like, oh, the offense got so sticky in the playoffs the last few years, like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum don't really play as well when it matters most. So I would say the ideal as a defense, if you're playing them is try getting them into those, you know, sticky situations where Tatum and and Brown, and I guess Chris Stapps are really trying to beat you in ISO ball because the clear difference between Boston and the other, like, you know, wagons of teams we've seen, like, if you want to put the Raptors in there, I guess the Raptors are kind of actually a pretty good comp for this Boston team, in my opinion. But if you're looking at, you know, like the Warriors or the Cavs, those teams had like a really number one, like alpha, like top three player in the league. I don't really look at Tatum that way. And if he is, he's that good because he's like such a good connector piece. Like he's kind of like the A1, one of the best, like it's kind of like Durant, but like a 1B of Durant where Durant's like can really get a shot. I don't know if Tatum's quite that good. So yeah, I would say really try getting them to ISO, try getting, you know, Tatum and Brown to beat you and ISO beat you with their passing because they don't have, you know, LeBron who's going to just absolutely dominate you kind of no matter what and they can put the ball in his hands. So I think if they run into problems, it'll probably be that they don't have, you know, that 1A offensive engine. And I, I'll preface what I'll say. I, I, I agree with you. And uh, we talked about this in the morning show. Pips also agreed with you for this one uh, when we talked about it on our morning show earlier on this week. Uh, I'll say that the Celtics are also good enough that they can still win by playing like that. But we've seen in past two seasons that when they do deviate to this, I'd say the even more specifically the Golden State series in the NBA Finals where they really retracted to this style of play. Absolutely, that, that's where that they are at their weakest. Jason Tatum, 
you know, if they did win playing like that ugly style of basketball that they can just revert to in the playoffs, and they have done so much and, and they still win, then people may w- want to anoint him as, okay, now clearly he's number one guy. Like there were all these questions about Jokic going to last year's playoffs. Not anymore because he's done it and he did it and won a championship with his team. So, so that, that could be on the way for Tatum. But I, I agree with you. They get into those bad habits. It's the bad habits that plagued Jason Tatum for most of his second season in the NBA just trying to be, I wouldn't go as far as to call it hero ball, but for lack of better term, I'll use that where he wants to do it in mid range and plays inefficient mid range game where they stick to the status quo here. Keep Porzingis heavily involved, Derek white involved. Yeah. This team's an absolute wagon. It's going to be tough to stop, but getting the team to revert to this style when they clearly know that's kind of been their weakness is uh, easier said than done. What is it going to take for a team to get them into this sort of play style, do you think? Yeah, well, I was just going to say the counterfactual and like how I always argue this when people bring it up is Boston added, in my opinion, their second best player in Chris Stapps and got Drew Holiday. So you got to remember when they were playing in the NBA Finals, they had Rob Williams, who was really good for them, but not a good offensive piece, and Marcus Smart on the floor for a lot of it. And Derek White wasn't the offensive player he was now so I just kind of don't even think it's that possible that the ball's gonna get so sticky because they just didn't have shooters now they have five shooters on at literally all times so it just it's really hard to muck up the game and and like kind of close the floor when there's no one who you're willing to to let shoot like who's going to be the guy they're going to dare to shoot Derek White Drew Holiday like those guys are just good shooters like who Teams were letting Grant Williams shoot. Teams were letting Marcus Smart shoot. That just kind of doesn't exist anymore. But yeah, I guess the best way to do it would be, you know, maybe Milwaukee plays Giannis at center and plays a lot of switching lineups. But again, Kristaps has been very good at attacking post-ups. And if you switch a smaller guy onto him, scoring. So I kind of just don't really see it as something that's likely to happen at all. But yeah. If, if you're going to do it, a Bam or a Giannis at center and a lot of switching would probably be the best way. Or I guess the other way I could see them losing is they're not the most physical team. Kristaps isn't the most physical center. Maybe go big and, and really try bullying them in offensive rebounding them. down. Like, But again, they're, they're a pretty good rebounding team in general. And if that happens, they can just play out and Kristaps and have still have five shooters on the floor. So yeah, I don't really think it's likely, but probably the best way would be mucking it up, no transition, play, you know, five guys who can switch. I, I think the team you're describing here that kind of best suits this is is actually the Knicks. They can play that switchable defense. Having OG kind of just makes them an elite defense on its own because you can put him on one of those guys and, and play almost like kind of a Pacers style of defense where you're going to give up the one-on-one stuff but you're not going to give up kickouts. You're not going to give up threes. You're going to force them to beat you one-on-one. And New York had the sort of def- defensive players to really be physical and switch. And on the offensive end, they are a team that rebounds the ball extremely well on the offensive glass and plays those sort of percentages. So even still, I see the Celtics beating them, but I also see like, okay, that's where a team could give them issues if the Celtics really do revert back to that level. Um yeah. I agree with that for sure. Like th- that's probably the best way to attack them. But I think also the thing that the Celtics don't get enough credit for is 
they're also the best defensive team in the league. I think when they ramp it up, like yeah, what White and Drew is who's had a better front court deep or a backward defense than that um, in the last, I can't ever remember. And then Tatum's a really good defender. Chris Stapp's been great this year. I just don't like they, they can match these teams defensively as well. So yeah, I think you're going to really have to like discombobulate them and, and maybe they are like a bit mentally weak. That's kind of really the hope. Uh, I definitely agree there. Uh, question coming in the chat as we move to our next topic from Eric, who says, uh, <laughs> Kirk, who is the most painful player in the NBA to bet unders on currently? And Eric says that uh, Josh Hart and Tyrese Hall- Halbert assists are the leading candidates for that. Do you have anybody that sticks out to you? Uh, like, I don't know about currently, but the guy who who's definitely like pissed me off the most this season betting unders on him is for sure Ant assists. He's just been like, I don't, maybe it's something in my data, but he's been running insanely good on assists all year. I don't think I've won one bet on his under assists and I bet it very often. So that's definitely been my like white whale of, oh, wow, I make under assists really good right now. And then it loses every time. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, final topic uh, before we go into some betting. Uh, and we have a bit of a betting preview in the chat right now. But uh we want to talk about the most unserious team in the NBA, which is obviously the Washington Wizards. Yeah, this team, on paper, look, there's some decent players here. Tyus Jones is putting up some just ridiculous assist-to-turnover numbers. Like, he's getting comfortably double-digit assists every game, zero-to-one turnovers. Kyle Kuzma is is still a good player. I feel like could help a championship team if he played seriously. In fact, he's done it before, and he's a better player than he was when he did it with the Lakers. Jordan Poole has also helped the team win a championship in the last couple of years, although I think we saw the, the cracks in his game even at the time. Yeah, there's good players here, but they've lost 12 in a row, and they have the worst record in the NBA. They're tied as the worst team in the NBA with the Detroit Pistons of all teams. What does this team have to do to recover from here? Because they brought in new manage, not management, uh, a new like front office, basketball operations, everything. They brought in a whole new crowd of people in the offseason. And the idea was thinking, okay, finally, this team is going to tank. Finally, they're going to take a step back. Then they gave Kuzma a big contract. They took on Jordan Poole's contract, which is going down as one of the worst in the NBA. What's next for this team? How can they get out of this mess? Yeah, so two things. One, I bet on the Wizards preseason wins over. This podcast really making me realize how dumb some of my takes were preseason. Um, yeah, yeah when the overrated one was pretty crazy. <laughs> but you um, own up to it at least and bring it up. <laughs> for sure. And even at the time, like once I started getting pushback from people who I was like, eh, I kind of think these people are smart. I was like, eh, I'm, I might just really not know. I might have thrown this out way too quick. Um, so yeah, I, I think this... This might be a, a hot take. I think this Wizards season's been mostly a success. Like, pool sucks. And it's. I feel like it's kind of just assumed that, you know, oh, it makes sense that pool's this bad. This is actually a shocking result, how bad pool is. It, it, if no, you no, look it, at, it's astonishing, truly. If you if you look at his, his stats, he was a good player. He was actually good. Like, it actually is kind of like, astonishing how bad he has been this year but really all that matters Bilal Koulibaly 
is actually probably having a better season than you would expect. I'm not sure what his high-owned outcomes are, but he's been fine. And they're terrible, and they're going to get a high pick, and they'll be terrible next year. They'll get another high pick. That's really all that matters. They just need to collect picks. Cool, having this bad of a contract sucks, but who cares? They're, if you're the Washington Wizards, you're, you're the opposite of the San Antonio Spurs. You should ban the word playoffs from your building. No one should be allowed to even think about the playoffs. The only thing you should be thinking of is how can we be absolutely terrible this year, absolutely terrible next year. Now we've gotten a few guys in the door. How can we get picks? And then you evaluate from there. Because these teams, the opposite of the Spurs, who it's like, okay, it's good to rush, is the Pistons, who who went like, oh, we want to add, we want to get some wins here. But like, they obviously weren't ready. Cade was never really going to be that guy. And now the Pistons are terrible, but have signed good guys and then kind of traded them for nothing. And now they're just really stuck. If you want to be bad, just be absolutely terrible. So I think it's good. They're set up to be terrible, and that's totally fine. Uh, if they want to continue to be terrible, just keep giving Jordan Poole the ball. Uh, exactly. you know, in the 21-22 season, the um, the championship year with the Golden State Warriors, his effective field goal percentage was 54.8. That's, that's good. Uh, his effective field goal percentage this season is 46.8. His field goal percentage is under 40%. He's averaging 16 points. Um, uh, 3.7 assists, 2.2 turnovers. Yeah, he's, he's just, he's just bad. Um, I don't, in context, he's bad. I don't think like you can be bad and score 16 points per game in the NBA, but he, he's plays, he plays losing basketball. And yeah, he's a, I he's a terrible NBA game. player this season. But again, I, I feel like things like this happen where Jordan Poole is terrible. And then it kind of gets in, into people's heads. Like, oh, everyone knew Jordan Poole was terrible. People were betting him like league leader in points, most improved. I think he, I think there, if you looked at like under the hood of exposure on most improved player, there were definitely a lot of Jordan Poole bets for this at a season. lot of these sites. Yeah. People, pe- people thought yeah, he was going to average it. like 30 points and be pretty decent on his own team. Like this, he is stunningly bad. Like even his usage percentage is somehow down this year from last year. And he's averaging 14 less points per or 0.14 less points per shot attempt, which is unbelievable. He was in the 91st percentile in points per shot attempt that year. They won the title. Now he's in the 26th. Like he is just terrible. It's uh, it's unserious. That's what it is. It, is, it, it really it's an is. Unserious team. It is the the king of the unserious players. There's no more unserious player than Jordan Poole. If there's any close, it's maybe Kyle Kuzma. Uh, but again. Uh, I'd actually be, I actually still very much believe Kyle Kuzma can help a good team win a championship. Um, not playing like he is right now, but playing more seriously. I'd be curious if Jordan Poole, if he ever got another opportunity could, could do that. Um, cause he's done it before. I just, I, I'd, I'd like to know. I mean, even in the NBA finals, he was a bit of a microwave sort of scoring player where like he'd have like a hot two minutes and then do like really not much else, but yeah, I just really yeah. do think it, it comes down to, like, does he just, you know, kind of not care anymore? He got a massive contract. Doesn't yeah. seem like a guy who cares particularly. I think if he took basketball really seriously again, he could be, like, yeah, good guy off the bench as a scorer. But right now he's and, just, um, like, t- totally unserious. And he was playing in Golden State with with winners. Where, yeah, exactly. You know, he had that attitude, whereas now he's playing 
in, in Washington. Which not with was, winners. Yeah, they're not not really winners there. Uh, could that change down the line? Look, like you said they have some big draft picks on the way. Hopefully for them, they, they strike gold with those picks. But uh, yeah, for now, uh, in danger or not, maybe not in danger. Um, the success story is the Pistons are winning games. They could have the highest odds. Well, they won't have the highest odds in one pick, but uh, if you're the worst team in the league, you're guaranteed a top five pick, yeah. and uh, you have the same odds as the bottom I think it's three top, teams. Top five or top four if you're number one. Pistons had the number one odds last year and ended up with the fifth pick. So <laughs> that hurts. Yeah, you're right. Yes, it hurts. It hurts. That's the only you're, reason you're right. I know because the Pistons that fell makes sense as it's far a, as they could. <laughs> it's a lottery for the top four, so it makes sense. You can fit. You can slip into the into the five. Uh, yeah. Uh, right, exactly. Uh, question from the chat here before we go into any betting. We have Matthew asking uh, about thoughts on the on two of the divisions here. So namely, uh, who will finish higher between the Bucks and the Cavaliers and the Mavericks compared to the Pelicans? Uh, Matthew says he has average odds of plus 160 for the Bucks and Pelicans at about plus 150. Um, I don't really have many thoughts into these sort of markets, but do you, uh, Evan Kirk, have any thoughts on the overall uh markets for divisions here yeah so Cavs bucks i actually was looking at today i thought the bucks price was even a little interesting at like plus 100 but i, I believe the Cavs have a, a easier schedule than the bucks and honestly it, like the bucks have have i think two uh losses like a two loss advantage in the loss column and the Cavs are getting priced right around the bucks in the market, I think if they played today, it would be pretty much even on, on a neutral. I guess Middleton's coming back. They'd probably be a bit better. So, yeah, plus 160 is an amazing number. That's not really close in the market. And, and the Cavs have been a, definitely a bit worse after those two massive winning streaks. So I don't, I, I didn't have a bet on it. I, I did look into it today. And then the Mavs, I, I know a lot of people were betting the Mavs. At, at whatever those probably around the prices you were getting. I, I definitely got texted a bunch of times. Mavs division looks really good to me. The market has definitely really agreed that they, they've been probably the most upgraded team after the trade deadline. The market's giving them a lot of respect. They were only like three and a half point dogs to Cleveland yesterday. So I definitely think they're a bit of a better team than New Orleans right now. But I also think they're a bit behind in the standings. I'm just pulling out where what their odds are right now. It's crazy that um that half court shot hurt them, but yeah, uh, <laughs> right now it's a right around even. Let me see what are the standings. I'll pull it up too, just so anybody watching can have a look as well. Yeah, so here's Dallas. Matthew. Yeah. This is a great question. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think Dallas probably should be a slight favorite, and looks like they're right around even on Chris. I don't know if it's a bet. I would need to look at the strength of schedule, but I think Dallas is probably. A little better going in uh, to the end of the season. Uh, New Orleans a bit more hurt. Dallas has a lot of depth right now. So, yeah, I would say Dallas probably a slight favorite. And, and Milwaukee and Cleveland, Cleveland probably a slight favorite. But both those numbers you have are, are really strong. So And as I wouldn't as, be hedging out of either of them. Definitely not. As, I don't as know far as this, what you were as, asking. As far as the standings are concerned here, um, Dallas 34 and 25. New Orleans 35 and 25. Uh, Dallas has the 18th most difficult remaining schedule. The Pelicans have the 14th most difficult remaining schedule. So pretty even overall in that respect. Um, Matthew was wondering if the prices, yes, these plays are plus EV. 
And, oh, they're uh, they're extremely plus EV. Generally, if you have a plus one seventy and and markets getting priced like minus one ten, you're you're in good shape. I don't know if people are seeing the big fight I have on Twitter. So some people seem like they disagree about CLV, but generally, if prices go your way, that is good. That is a good thing. Even uh, if other, some people an, might not tell you that. Especially in and I would go as far as say in an efficient market like the NBA, uh, you definitely have a good position if you have good CLV. Uh, like almost. Like 99% of the time, you know, like uh, like germ killers, like Lysol will say kills 99.9% of germs just so you, like you can't sue them if something goes wrong. That's what I'd say about CLV. It's almost at that sort of level. Yes, it pretty much always will, will help you if that's in your favor. Um, let's get into some more betting talk here. So um, I actually... Uh, <laughs> There's a play that I, I that I bet that uh, Eric also put in the chat here, but uh, I, I'll, I'll I'll make it. I I don't ever give out picks here, but I'll make a pick for the show here. Um, Eric mentioned that Jimmy Butler over 30 and a half PRA is minus 105 at Bet365. Plain and simple, this one's off market. If you have access to Bet365, uh, go to the minus 105 number on his PRA. And again, I don't ever make show plays, but uh, this one's a good number, so. I'm going to say here, while that's still up, because I just checked that it is, and it was up before the show, um, go ahead and play that one. But before we get to any of your picks, uh, another question from Eric about any long shots that you want to take for an NBA champion bet as a, as a D-Gen play, as Eric says. Well, we'll say a bit of D-Gen, but if they're plus EV, in your mind, they're plus EV, whether that be a super long shot or whether that also be somebody near the top. Yeah, so I haven't bet any of these but if i were to bet an nba champion that that's more of a long shot i'd probably go like okc or minnesota i think those are those are kind of teams that i look at and i think in my head oh those are teams i'm probably gonna be betting against in the playoffs but the market's really not giving them much respect one of them is going to be number one in the west okc and they've been just really really good and the west is wide open again i just don't think the quality of the west i don't think any of these teams are scary in the West. And then if you make the finals, you're in good shape. So I, I maybe would prefer betting them to win the West rather than to win the title. <laughs> so they have to beat Boston. <laughs> yeah, because these teams aren't beating Boston in my head. But yeah, I think those teams are undervalued considering they're um, likely yeah. going to win win the, yeah, like plus 2,200. I even was looking because as much as I faded OKC this year, I did bet them to win the championship, like right as odds opened, because I thought they might go out on a signing spree or, or trade for someone really good, um, and have them like eighty-seven to one. I was thinking, like that must have went crazy, which obviously is still really good. But then I looked, I was twenty-two to one. Like, who's better than OKC in the West? I don't know. The Clippers have been bad. Denver's starting to turn it up, but I have a lot of questions about them. So yeah, definitely a team out of the West, and and those would be the guys. Like even Dallas, you can see Dallas is. 30 to 1. They have like a 50-50 shot of being in the play. Give me OKC is just a better team than them. Like, fine, maybe Dallas will rise up. They have better, like, you know, traditional playoff guys, Luca and Kyrie, but give me, give me OKC. I'd probably take OKC over Minnesota as well. Assuming the prices are similar. Yeah, this is uh these are interesting because Minnesota is the fifth ranked team in terms of NBA championship odds out of the Western Conference, and they may have home court advantage all the way Throughout through the whole thing so that is yeah that is interesting um i don't think phoenix should be quite as high as they are compared to those teams so 
I suppose if you are going to take a long shot here, Minnesota is a, is a decent one, as is OKC, as you mentioned. For OKC, I, I, I just think Shea is just a, a winner. And if you're in a tight late game, that's one of the very few players in the league I want to just have the have the ball in their hands uh, and just go win me the game. So, yeah, if you want to look for some some D-Gen fun, maybe some good spots over there. Um, in that case, Eric asked, would you bet the Eastern Conference to win the chip at minus 105? Well, listen, Eric. We've already uh, posted that. We bet where's, that where's on the minus We didn't get minus 105, but we got minus 110 <laughs> for an Eastern Conference team to win the championship. So uh, we liked minus 110. We'd love minus one hundred five instead. If, if, uh, if I if I can find that, I'm going to personally bet that for sure. Uh, Eric, where'd you find that? Um, oh my god, Eastern when, Conference when, is plus hundred at Caesars. Plus hundred at Caesars for an Eastern Conference team to win the championship. That that doesn't make sense. To I, I guess they figure if it's not Boston, then the team, the East team, won't be favored in the finals. But I don't even agree with that. That's Plus 100 is ridiculous. Whoever came in and, and bet this the other way, I appreciate it. The minus 110 we got on East to win East to win the championship was actually off market at the time as well compared to Caesars. So I don't know how this has all gone down. But yes, uh, plus 100. Uh, we already have it on the show, so don't need to put it again. But plus 100 Caesars would pretty much be a, an official show play if uh, it wasn't uh, already one of the places. I'm going to go bet that right now. All right. Um, right after so, the show. Right after the show. So yes, yeah. Go ahead if you want. Uh, people might might bet it. It might move. Go ahead. But um, yeah, Eric. In, in this case, yes, Eastern Conference win the NBA championship is a good bet. Great job on on that one. We'll let uh, we'll let Evan do his thing here and uh, get the bet in at Caesars. But, no, no, we're uh, good. We're good. We can keep going. We've got we've got some time. Well, I was going to ask any other plays that you have for today. I've thrown in the Jimmy Butler play, but do you want to toss in anything? Yeah, um, I pretty much like every uh, one of these of his like versions of his lines, but official play, let's go Franz Wagner under 31.5 PRA 1.87 minus 115. Okay, uh, Franz Wagner, we go under 31.5 PRA. It's minus 115 at Bet365. So while you're playing the Jimmy Butler over, why not go over and play the under on Franz Wagner? Again, minus 115 at Bet365. You can also get this minus 122 at FanDuel, minus 120 at BetMGM, minus 120 at ESPN Bet. So plenty of opportunity to go and play this one. Um, so two bets. Is it, is it just this one? Is there anything else? No, th- that's good. So it'll be the two plays on the show today. One from myself, uh, a, a rare play from myself. But again, um, Eric brought it up in chat. I mentioned in chat that I'd already bet it, so I'm uh, comfortable to also share on the show. But I want to take a quick look as well around the other plays that we have uh, on the show cooking right now. So we have the Eastern Conference to win the championship. Celtics championship, which is at at a good price right now. Um, We also possess Jokic MVP at plus 270, which looks fantastic at the moment. Um, OKC not to make the playoffs, just... That one's obviously that, lost. That's cooked. That's cooked. The Raptors over 29 and a half wins all of a sudden got some fresh legs. They're at 22 wins now. They won three games in a row out the gates. Uh, they need they need eight more, excuse me, in their last 23 games. So look, have to look feel solid. They can, they can likely do that. As long 
as they continue to try and make the play in tournament, which has looked increasingly likely here. So I, I imagine their line is 30 and a half to 31, like heavy juiced over 30 and a half or heavy juiced under 31 and a half at this point. So right around 31 for that line. So decent positions all around there. Pranav and chat asks, is uh, the Paulo Bankero questionable? Num- Very, uh, con- it, yeah, if, if he's out. If he's out, we're in bad shape, but I'm pretty confident he's in. He he went through a shoot-around, already announced he's going to be a game-time. Um, Jonathan Isaac was announced out with an illness. He's missed two games with this illness that he's had for like a week and a half. So I'm pretty confident he's in. But yeah, if you want to wait, you can wait for sure. But I have pretty high conviction he's in. All right, so that will do it for the show today. Bit of a loaded episode. If you did enjoy, make sure you do hit the like button to support the content that we do over here. And a reminder, subscribe to the channel. We're live with myself and Evan Kirk right beside me every Thursday, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. Myself and Pips NBA are live every weekday morning, 9.45 for more NBA free picks. And that show's just for free picks pretty much. So uh, tune in with the board, the Hammers NBA content division. Visit thehammer.bet for all of your sports betting content endeavors. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Kirk Evans will see you next week. Thanks so much for watching, everybody.